Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Other Side Podcast mission is to discuss important cultural and social issues relating to race, culture, gender, and equality. What's up? Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Other Side Podcast. I'm Scott Kirk, and unfortunately, Lucas is on assignment today, so I'm riding solo. But that's okay, because we still have a great show in store for you. Today, we are going to be talking to organizer Madeline Fitch and Ruben Herrera of the Columbus Sanctuary Collective, which is an immigrant rights group. I just want to welcome both of you guys to the show. Thanks for coming. It's good to be here. Um, So I want to start off, uh, and this question is to both of you guys. I want to start off by asking how this partnership came together, because I know Madeline is a social activist and has been involved in other issues and protests related to that. Yeah, so basically, I know that you guys kind of came together for this particular issue. So if you could just tell us how that came about. Yeah, so I'm an organizer, and I knew that I was going to be hosting a lot of other organizers with skills, and that people were feeling really moved to fight back against ICE. And I also know that um, people are working really hard and have been working really long-term um, for migrant justice. And I think that any time, I guess any time I start... Uh, I have organizing resources or time to lend to an issue that I have less experience in. The first thing I do is just try to find out who's already doing the work Mm -hmm. and what kinds of things would be helpful to ongoing efforts because there's always people who know a lot more about what's going on than I do. So I started asking friends and immediately people told me um, about the work that Ruben has been doing. And so I just put a lot of effort into trying to get to know Ruben and build that relationship and um, find out from Ruben what would be the most helpful to ongoing efforts and to uplift efforts and messaging and things that were already happening in a long-term way. Yeah, from our perspective, it was it was that outreach, that call, that, that connection that Madeline and I had already met before, but we had not worked together. And so I think it, it, it's a testament to the the need to work together on different levels and, and mm-hmm. the, the crises of the issues such that, that we have to. And the first part in everything, everything we do and anything anyone should do is, is, is create the relationship. Who do, you, who do you trust? Who do you know? And so so we took a little bit of time, not much to do that, but but and then started working very actively on, on the, the action that, that we did. Okay. Now, Madeline, I know you were involved in a protest that got a lot of visibility here in the city about a month or so ago where you guys set up a tripod and sort of in the middle of the street and just on a side note I'm just curious how were you able to put that up so fast without being stopped (laughs) well yeah I'm a direct action organizer and the the message I want to get out to other folks who are considering direct action is that you don't have to be an expert and you don't have to be a specialist to make an action happen that's that's really potent and effective and inclusive but the action that you're talking about was a joint effort between organizers from Earth First and the American Indian Movement and migrant justice groups like Mujente and Columbia Sanctuary Collective. And so, you know, the different groups were thinking like, well, what skills do we have to bring to bear? And something that Earth First is 
known for are these tripods made out of big trees, <laughs> big logs that have often been used in environmental justice or forest defense or anti-pipeline kind of aerial blockades in rural areas. And so I think folks were thinking, let's bring that into the city. And that tripod specifically was there to block the door that's behind the, the building of that fancy hotel. And it's the door that they are, that law enforcement and ICE people are bringing people out of to put them into detention. So people come into the front door of that hotel and they go up to the third floor to check in and then they're taken into custody and taken down this this back way out this unmarked door in the alleyway and taken to detention and it happens in a very secretive and shameful way and they really want it to be anonymous because no one's proud of the work they're doing. They're ashamed of it. So when we knew that that was the door they were using, we thought, let's make a tripod that will make it impossible for them to hide where they're doing that dirty business. I see. What, what's interesting about that is is that door is is visible and there's a connection here to the city of Columbus from the mayor's office across the street on Front Street. Literally, uh-huh. he can look out and see that happening if he's aware that it's happening, right? Mm-hmm. So people in the mayor's office can see actually see that happening if they know what's happening. People coming out of that door, immigrants, migrants that are being taken for detention. I want to ask this question. I want to play devil's advocate for a second. So let's assume that for people who that particular day, maybe they were downtown for some business or they work downtown. They don't know much about the issue. And all they see is this tripod and people are protesting there. The traffic is blocked. They can't get to their parking garage or whatever it is. Do you ever worry that when you do social activist protests like that, it might turn off some people who otherwise might be sympathetic to your cause? The simple answer is no. But what we did, and Madeline mentioned this, is make sure the messaging somehow, that's why it's important that the, that the newspaper was here, that it got coverage, and, and we work on the media, right, out of it, where people will find out. Now, whether people want to, at the end of the day, say, this inconvenienced me and I'm upset, therefore I support uh, deportations. I doubt that that happens. There's people that, that are just going to be upset about the inconvenience. But the, the point was, was yes, to block traffic, mm-hmm. to stop stop business as usual mm-hmm. and, and what happened there because it was kind of on the download we didn't let it out people didn't know we were going to do that is it, it to me it was almost like a like a performance art installation people came out to see and were asked a question what's going on here and we thought about it. we had signs we had messages there were people there with and people knew when they came out what was happening and so it could have been better but as far as inconvenience people um, were all inconvenience and there's many people working class poor black brown you name it here that are inconvenienced constantly by stop being streets here. So that one for me doesn't doesn't go anywhere. I mean, it's ironic that when we talk about inconvenience, when families are being torn apart and people who are fleeing for their lives and trying to, you know, and undertaking risky migration so that they can try to find safety. And then the idea of inconvenience put up against that is, it seems a little bit, you know, hopefully it might make people reflect. You know, I know that some, at some of the ICE occupations that have been happening around the country, you know, I read one story where ICE officers came out at the end of the day and said, could you please just let us go home to our families? So the deep irony of that, I think, is really striking people. And just um, anecdotally, I know that on the day of the action, a lot of bystanders were drawn into the action, and a lot of workers, people doing construction work nearby, were expressing support. People were taking pictures with their phones. And I guess I'm at the point in my organizing work where I notice that 
for every person who might be alienated by an action, there's somebody else who's inspired and motivated by the action. And at this point, I feel more accountable to people who are going to be inspired and motivated. Those are the people that I really want to have their back and be there for and engage. I wanted to read something to you guys and then have you respond. So ICE defines itself as a U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, which enforces federal laws governing border control, customs, trade, and immigration to promote homeland security and public safety. And so my question is, do you disagree with the agency's mission in principle totally or do you just feel that they've deviated from what originally they were supposed to do and now they've just become excessive is it all or nothing or yeah. just you want reform what would you like well, to I, see I, I think the whole hashtag or movement of abolish heist is exactly that okay. it needs to be abolished and what what's happened what it's turned into is to a agency a policing agency that detains criminalizes deports and people and also separates families and so that's what the the police state does in general even for us for people of color black brown poor people and so i would answer the the, the same way to any police agency in this country that that it has got out of hand now now homeland security is interesting just that term because it came as a result of 9-11 now, 9-11 changed everything right so but our country is such deeply embedded in, in our country is is the need is racism and the need to to blame the other and the other mostly being people who look like me, black people, brown people, Muslims, people that are different. And so that's the key. That's where these agencies have gone rogue. And so, and at the other hand, it plays into those who really, really believe that. And then it plays into the bigger stage of, of patriotism, loving our country and making America great again, however you frame it, right? And so, so yes, it's gone rogue. And, and from my behalf, I, it didn't start with this administration. It, it, it started from the very, very beginning. Well, let yeah. me ask you this. If you get rid of ICE, how do you enforce? If we say that we want people to come into the country illegally, we want to know who you are. You have to go through some type of citizenship or registration process. If there's no agency to actually enforce those rules, then what do you do? I would want to answer kind of, and this is more about your previous question. To me, this is a huge structural issue. And I just want to, I mean, call in. I know I said American Indian Movement was one of the groups that was working on the joint action. So you can see some of the, the media statements that folks from that group were making about the action. And one thing that really struck me that I heard one of those Native organizers saying, and that I've heard, you know, again and again, is, you know, it's really rich that the U.S. government, a colonizing force from the beginning, is deciding who's illegal coming into this country. And that have a very sordid history of policing borders that are invented borders. So the spokesperson from AIM was talking about policing the southern borders and saying, according to traditional migration patterns, migrants, those migrants that are coming here are our relatives and they're coming home. So you also have to look at who's making the decisions. And I also think you have to look at the level of criminalization. So if you'll stay with me here a moment, when I was in jail after the action for two days and the women that I was in jail with were all to a person, because of drug-related charges or charges related to prostitution, which were also drug-related charges, right? Mm -hmm. Now, right now, when they're taking detainees, they're putting people into custody, or ICE is putting people, migrants into custody, and putting them into criminalized situations with people who are in jail for other charges. And to me, it, it begs the question of the entire issue of criminalization. So I don't think that migrants deserve to be criminalized and put in jails and treated like they're criminals. And I also don't think that those women I was in jail with 
should be in jail. Those people are needing support and they need a world that is not criminalizing them and not punishing them when what they actually need are services and support and mm-hmm. opportunities for self-determination. And there's just no way that you could go through a situation like that and not come out a prison and police abolitionist. So you see the connection with, with kind of just, just in generally the police state and criminalization of people in general. But, but to your question, I think there has to be, we used to call it a pathway to citizenship, but there has to be a way that people can actually get citizenship or residency in a way that's more expedient, that makes more sense, that's more timely, in a way to keep people here. And so right now there that we don't have that. That's we've been we were fighting for when Obama was president for they call it comprehensive immigration reform. It didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And so there has to be I'm not sure reform and my struggle with that word, but something has got to change within the system of ICE. It's not ICE. ICE is the enforcement part. The USCIS is the is the agency that helps people through the citizenship process. ICE only is the border patrol and the, the police part of it, right? And so the only thing that's happening right now is I is is the criminalization on the ICE side. It's it's slow in the USCIS uh, aspect and so there's no there's no way for, for people Mauritanians here it's very relevant right now or people from Latin America or, or, or Asia or any other country to get there in a way to stay here in a way that makes sense those that are here Right, that have been been here, that are business owners, that, that are contributing to the community, that have children that were born here. That's really what we're fighting for. So the, the abolish ICE is saying we need to stop that in order to move this over here. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it, all it is, is is enforcement and criminalization. And to the extent that the, that this city is complicit, because that door that Madeline talked about, the law enforcement agency that brings people in and takes people out is Franklin County. And so that localizes it. That that's that's where the police is is implicit uh, active with with that enforcement agency. I'm glad you said that. That actually brings me to my next point. I'm going to play a piece of audio from somebody who disagrees with you. It's actually um, the Attorney General Jeff Sessions and this is a clip of him. He's actually speaking about sanctuary cities and in this particular case he was talking about New Jersey but I believe what he says could be applied to nationally. So if we could go ahead and listen to that and then we'll talk on the back end. And the objectors the sanctuary cities those are policies that favor illegality. They subsidize illegality. They encourage illegality. American people are sick of that. It's time to end it. The choice is clear, and it's going to be even clearer this year. Okay. How do you respond to that? <laughs> well, I mean, first of all, the, the whole definition of what is a sanctuary city. What, he, what he's referring to are cities that have agreed not to part. that their police department, whatever that might be, has agreed not to participate with ICE. Right. And so this city technically is not a sanctuary city in the sense that, well, first of all, the city does not run the jail system here. It's the county. There's some influence through through leadership and elected officials. But city Columbus could not declare this a sanctuary city. Perhaps the county could do it because they run the, the policing agency, the jail, right? It's a county jail. And so we need to make that clear. And, and so according to Sessions, what I understand and kind of the, the anti-sanctuary city movement is based upon helping people. Basically what he's saying, we don't, we, let's not help people in need. And again, if you double click on that and what he's talking about, he calls them illegals. If you double click on that with Jeff Sessions saying it, it also means poor people, poor citizens. It means poor black, poor brown. That's what, I mean, that's what people are, they're actually saying that too in conjunction with this, right? So the fight is, yes, definitely about migrants and immigrants, but it's also about us, about those of us that are here. I think it's very, very dangerous what he's saying right there. He's framing it in terms of immigrants and migrants and sanctuary city, but you know what? He's talking about poor people. 
us. And he's talking about not helping us. Let me ask you a question. Again, playing devil's advocate. If being in this country illegally is against the law and your organization advocates for sanctuary for those of individuals who don't have legal status, is your organization essentially helping people break the law? And why should someone, again, who might under other circumstances be sympathetic to your cause? Why would they support that? Because for people who don't keep up on this issue, all they hear is that there are people here illegally some organization or religious entity in the city is providing shelter for them. And so even though they're breaking the law, there's people in the city that's helping them do that. What would you say to those people? From my perspective, I think that whatever law is unjust to people, mm-hmm. uh, it is one that we have to challenge. And and you could frame it by breaking it. And that's how you get attention to it. And to, to a certain extent, it was probably illegal to block Front Street or Broad Street. It's illegal also to park illegally, right? Right. There's, there's also kind of all kinds of illegalities, but but in in this terms, I, I think if it's an unjust law that you have to, you have we have a responsibility. I have a responsibility mm-hmm. to address it myself and with people to bring attention and fight for the change. In fact, that's why I'm here today, right? Because somebody did that, right? And on on my behalf, as a, as a person who spoke uh, Spanish and, and and when when I was here, when I came to this country, and so we have a responsibility not only as Americans but just as people. Right. And it's not even as people of faith, just as people to be able to do that. And and that's what we're doing. And as far as sanctuary, sanctuary churches. Now, that's a little bit different. And there's only two people in sanctuary in Columbus. And what they have done, those two people have gone through the USCIS. They have done everything that they, they've gone to their business. They've tried and, and it's impossible. That's why that has to be, that has to be changed. But first, the ball, ICE has to be abolished for that to happen. And so uh, but it's the last result. In those particular cases that you just mentioned, what's the end goal? Because they can't stay in, in these churches forever, right? Mm-hmm. What is the next step after that? Okay, now they're safe from being immediately deported. Right. Until what? Well, ultimately, you have to go through the system and you have to go through the law, through the courts to be able to get some kind of legal relief. For so this is really just kind of buying time to allow their cases to move through the system. You know what? And that term's interesting because really, that's really the only the only thing that we have is how do we delay? How do we how do we get some kind of relief till something else happens? Some kind of uh, ruling, some part of the country that changes things legally through the courts. And so, so yeah, generally it's it's buying time till something happens. To, and we don't want to wait till the administration changes. We could, and we don't even. There's no guarantee that that will happen, right? Right. Or or even if it does, that things will change. And so yeah, we're actually buying time for them and and that's one way to frame it but also i mean i before i got here one of the persons called me about her child in school we're also uh, you know you have to bring it back to the faces of the people you're Mm -hmm. you are Mm -hmm. this is a mother uh, mothers that are trying to be with their family and and that's to me that's been the hardest thing in in the work that i've been doing in the last specifically what year not taking the streets or being maced or whatever that has happened to me in the last year the hardest things have been to face the mothers and to try to to figure something out with them where they're leading it and and it's hard but at the same time that's what motivates me as well because I have a mother and I am a parent and I know mothers and so that to me that's the hope as well and so we have to keep 
go back to kind of the the face of it and and for people in churches they they base that upon their faith and it's not just churches it's muslim it's it's, it's synagogues and other w- ways of believing and so i think that that's the bottom line and, and it's it's i use the starfish story it's making a difference to one there's lots of starfish abandoned on the beach but you're, you're making a difference to one and and it's not just helping that one it's making sure telling the story like we did with the with taking the street uh, that you mentioned what we were talking about earlier telling that story and moving with it and trying to create change and then and working with organizations like Earth First and the other ones that, that have been working with us because we can't do it alone. It's not just about immigrants or brown or brown people. It's about all of us. And Madeline, and I mean, we've, we've created a friendship and a, and a partnership. Maybe you could talk about that. Actually, I was going to just ask you guys about that before we wrap. Just quickly, you guys, what are you, you guys planning next? Do you have any other events going on that you'll be, you and Madeline will be working together on or any new issues you want to take on? Madeline? <laughs> I have an idea. I don't. I know. I have an idea. Oh, you have an idea? Yeah, we'll talk about it later. But but I I okay. I, I think that the, it's going to be pretty hard to top that tripod. So. And well, well, the thing exactly, and, and that one, that that was something that that was really uh, it was kind of an awesome in a way. It brought a point to what we were doing. It, I I described it earlier as, as kind of a performance art mm-hmm. art performance. Really, it was, it was like an installation. People saw it with a message and went back either upset, like you said. They knew what it was about. That was that's what we did. But as far as you know, I think there's plenty to do, and I, th- I think that, that we're going to be talking about how we can we could continue working together. In the meantime, you know, we visited. I've been to her home, and we've, we've just got to know each other, and that's how you move forward. And so we'll be talking about how we can continue moving forward, and what we can do in in this state, in this region. Great. Yeah, and I mean, I would emphasize that you know some people. I think I said this at the beginning. They see a big action like that one with the tripod, and it seems like something that would be hard for them to do. And Ruben mentioned responsibility, and it to me. We all, we're all implicated. Everyone is implicated in what is happening in this country, and everyone has a responsibility to act where they can. So for that week, I had uh, the resources and capabilities to organ- help organize, co-organize an action like that. Now, most of the time, I'm a parent of, I mean, all of the time, but I'm a parent of two children under the age of five, and I work full time, <laughs> and I'm not rolling out actions like that every week. But I'm looking for ways that I can continue to fulfill responsibilities and obligations and, you know, my accountabilities to the, my community and to people I'm building trust and friendships with. And I like what Ruben was talking about, supporting people on the daily, on, in the day-to-day, in ways that aren't as glamorous as a tripod, but that are arguably more important. And so, yeah, I just encourage listeners to think about the ways that they can do that and to understand that the idea, you know, Jeff Sessions, that clip you played, the idea of following a law just because it's the law is a... Uh, something that's been disproved by history. Any student of history knows that uh, just following orders is no excuse for your actions or behaviors. There's no excuse for trading in your moral and ethical sense and your responsibility to other people. And that's something that you have to deal with yourself. No government can invent that for you. And you're responsible to yourself and to your community. Let me just say that also as a result of that, there was a group of young people that were there and were inspired by the action and the movement and the cause and the need. And they they have created a an Abolish Ice Central Ohio group. Mm-hmm. And, and since then, they've done a few actions. Recently, I went, I was was invited when they went to the Greyhound, where Greyhound is allowing mm-hmm. ICE to enter buses. And so they, they're targeting specific organizations or companies that are, or even institutions that are implicit with and complicit with ICE. And so so out of that came something else. And then it came, that's, that's how we create change. Mm-hmm. We don't just do it ourselves. And they will create change. They will inspire other people to do something else. And that's ultimately, mm-hmm. that's the only way that change has happened. It, it just, 
it happens differently through Congress through legislation, but but that's political, and and you get you look where we're at right now with that, and and so for us, change happens on the street. These streets are our streets, and it happens by inspiring people, but also never forgetting that the impacted person, the mother, the immigrant, the black person, the poor person, the homeless person, whoever it is, person on the street, right outside this building, asking for money, right? Who is that? That person has a name. Mm-hmm. And so there's a connection to that. And to me, I've been in Columbus most of my life. I love this city. I didn't say that for the first 10 years. I can say that. I love this city, right? And so I have a responsibility as a person, as a, a resident, to make this a, a better city. And that's how we're doing it. And we're not doing it alone. We're doing it with other people. And, and we're doing it by telling the story and moving for people in need. That's how it's mm-hmm. done. That's the only way it's done in this country. And there's and, and the path is fully known. It's been done by so many people. That's what inspires mm-hmm. us. We won't stop till we win. I believe you. I want to thank both of you all for joining us today. I think this has been a great discussion. I think maybe you've opened some minds and, you know, maybe um, convinced some people, hopefully, that didn't know much about the issue or maybe didn't understand the issue. And maybe they have a better understanding now. So just want to thank you guys for taking time out of your day to, to talk to us. We really appreciate it. And for everybody out there in the world, thanks again for tuning in. Don't forget, we love to hear from our listeners so please check us out on our facebook page at facebook.com backslash groups slash the other side podcast and you can always reach out to us on twitter at other side underscore pod and there you'll find a bunch of episodes and photos and questions and suggestions and yeah so until then try to see things from the other side thanks Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.